So we're going to be talking about how God can use us. And I want to start out and read 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. And it's been read several times this weekend. And I want us to kind of look at this passage, and I want us to take it apart for a few minutes. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. See, when you look at this passage, we've been talking about a lot about being drawn from the darkness to the light this weekend. But what I really want to look at for a few minutes and, and help everyone here understand and grasp is the fact that you were chosen by God. And not only were you handpicked by God, not only did God look and say, I long for you to do something great. I want to use you. I am choosing you to do this. Not only did he do that, but he chose you for specific purposes, you know, sometimes it's easy to think and we look and we say, man, I've been sanctified by God. I've been, I've been, des- I've been designed for something. And, and we get lost in that and we say, man, what was I chosen for? Well, we look and we say, oh, I was chosen that I was able to receive God's salvation. God offers that to everyone. And God says, listen, I, I, I want everyone everywhere to be saved. And when we think about what God has chosen us to, we don't really have much of an answer to that at times. We don't really know what, what that means. And so what I want to do for just a minute is to talk about what sanctifying something really is. You see, to sanctify something or someone is to set that person or that thing apart for the use intended by the designer. So when you look at simple things, if you look and you were to say, man, a pen, look at an ink pen. A pen is sanctified when it's used to write. Whenever its design is being used, it has been set aside to be a writing utensil, and when you use it, that's been sanctified. Eyeglasses, they're sanctified when they're used to improve sight. And in, in, in a theological sense, in our relationship with God, what we need to understand is that we are sanctified when we are used for the purpose God intended us for. Whenever, it, we, whenever God is able to use us for the exact design that he wanted to, a human being is sanctified when he or she is living according to God's design and purpose. And God is longing for his people to be people who are men and women of purpose, who go out into the world and say, you know what, I'm going to do exactly what I was intended, what I was created, what I was designed to do. I want to go into the world and I want to do that. And as men and women of God and as churches, if we could grasp that and that's what we could become and we would truly be a sanctified people who are being used for the intent of our designer, we would be amazed at how God is able to change the world and change the communities that we're a part of and the campuses that we're a part of. Your purpose, you see, we've got to come to this understanding. A lot of times when people think about relationship with God, they are thinking vertically. They are thinking this is between me and God. And what we've got to come to grips with is that our relationship with God is more than vertical. It also runs horizontal. You're not only called to have a relationship with God, but you've been called to seek and save the lost. You've been called for a specific purpose, a specific intent. And we've got to be people who adopt that intent, that, that intent that he had for us. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is a famous passage. But in, sadly, so few people who call themselves Christians, who say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, so few times have they really grasped this and have they adopted God's intent and design for their life. And you look at that passage and he says, Jesus comes, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, God looks and he says, listen, I have sanctified you. I have set you apart. You are a royal priesthood. And you look at the the priesthood in the Old Testament, and they were basically a bridge. They were a bridgeway between God and and his people. And God here says, listen, you've been designed, you've been intended to become a bridge that links people to me. You've been intended for this, and you are to go into all the world and make sure that other people are able to be connected to me. And yet I still hear brothers and sisters, I've heard them many times say, evangelism really isn't my thing. Reaching people isn't my thing. I wouldn't be a very good evangelical because I don't like to go and tell people that they need to have a relationship with God. I want them to just see it for themselves. You have to ignore scripture to believe that. You have to buy a lie to believe that. You have to buy a lie to think that God is okay with you not Design, not being a part of his design and using, being used as his intended purpose. He is very clear over and over again. And if you don't want to take the direct statements, then just look and say, everyone here would not, if you're not in agreement, are we supposed to be like Jesus? Yes. Why did he come here? To seek and save the lost. And for us to pretend like that is not God's intent, his design for us, if that is not what we've been sanctified for, you have to just throw the Bible out the window. That is what we have been put here to do. That's what we were made for. That's what we were raised out of that water anew for. To be a new creation with a new purpose, a new design, a new intent that that we would take a hold of and we would apply in our lives. But fulfilling that purpose and becoming that person, there are some things that it requires. And we're going to talk about three simple, easy concepts for us to say, man, what is it going to take for me to be a sanctified person who has provided a life of purpose that goes out and does what I was intended to do? The first part of fulfilling my purpose is I have to remember what it was like in the dark. You see, when we forget where our life change came from, we negate our ability to help others find a changed life. When you forget where your life change came from, you negate your ability to help someone else find that same change. Because we become people who are selfish, self-centered, and spoiled, and we become so happy with what we've got that we don't care if anyone else has finds it. And you look at 1 Peter 2, what we started with, and you look at the verses there. He says, listen, I want you to remember some things. He says, who, remember God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
grateful men and women who are truly thankful for what God yanked them out of, the miserable, terrible life they were a part of, that he pulled you out of that darkness and pulled you to the light. Grateful people love other people and want them to experience that same thing. For those of you who grew up in the church like I did, you may not have some of the crazy stories. I could sit here and go down person after person after person after person and tell you some insane stories of God pulling people out of the darkness and into the light. But if you're like me, you may be looking and saying, yeah, but I don't have that story. And sometimes, because we don't have that story, we get very ungrateful because we're like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've been all right pretty much my whole life. Well, then maybe you need to sit down eyeball to eyeball with some of my college students and let them tell you how crappy life can be without God. Because it can be really, really rough. And we've got to be people, if we're going to be people who live a life of purpose, we have to remember what it was like in the dark. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-30, you look at what Paul tells the Corinthian church. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Look at the things God calls you there. If anyone were to call you that, it, you would consider it an insult. If someone were to say, you're the lowly, you're the undesired, you're the unwanted, you're the weak, you're the despised things of this world, you are foolish. And God is looking and he's saying those things about us and he says, that's what you once were. We have got to become people who look at our lives and say, I cannot believe what God has done. And because what he has done in me, I'm going to allow the love of Christ that drug me out of the darkness into the light to compel me to make a difference in the world around me. We get so comfortable sitting in the church. We get so comfy, cuddled up in our holy huddles. And so glad that God has changed our lives. And we are so, we're so, oh, it just feels so good to sit down with a group of people who believe. And you don't have, and we're not out in the world getting beat up and being persecuted for the things that we're teaching. And the fact that what we believe goes counterculture. And so we get together and we're like, oh, it's so nice and warm and fuzzy in here. And, and we smile at each other and we hug each other and we love being together. It's great that we love being together, but we're missing the point sometimes. We forget that there are people who surround us every single day who are in that same exact position where, we're, where we were not long ago. And you look at these passages and you see Peter and you see Paul calling us back to remember. You know when you heard those stories the other night in the, in the pavilion when um, Jenna and Janice and uh, Juan got up there and they told their stories. And my dad was talking about it and he says, look, these are not like some crazy, we didn't pick like the three worst stories at the Crossings Church or the three people who only have stories at the Crossings. We have a church full of those people because there's a world full of those people. 
In our campus ministry, we have devos on a, on a regular basis, a consistent basis to where we allow people the opportunity to share their stories. And the reason we do that is because we don't ever want to forget where we've come from. We always want to remember what God has done in our lives because when we forget that and we become, compla- we become complacent and we don't go out and fulfill the, the purpose we were designed for. See, I have to remember what it was like in the dark if I'm going to help people find the light. The second thing is I have to live in a way that contrasts darkness and light. We have to live a different way. Look at 1 Peter 2.11. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visit us. And, and he's saying, listen, we have got to show them some kind of contrast. The world is sick and tired of looking at the church and hearing they should be like the church but seeing no difference in the church and in the world. They look at our lives, and they hear the way we talk at work, and they hear the way we talk in our classes or in our dorm rooms, and they see the things that we focus on and the things that we cherish and the things that are on our heart, and oftentimes they're like, I don't get it. It's not that much different. And there's no contrast that shows them why they should desire to be in the light. We have done a disservice to the world as Christians whenever they cannot see a difference that says, man, I want some of what they've got. But instead, what the world has been doing for, for a long time now is looking at the church and saying, I don't need none of that, that's for sure. I don't want anything to do with that. And what we think and what we, what, so many times, even our speakers and our, and, and people in leadership, they want to act like the reason the world doesn't want to have anything to do with this is because they don't like our message. And I don't think that's the case. That is true at times. They don't like our message. But if they could see the outcome of obeying God and people who were truly devoted to being men and women of God and they saw where that kind of life led, they could get past the parts of the message that they may not initially like. And someday they would come to the understanding that when God says something, he says it for a reason. And even though we may not like it, it's beneficial to do what he says regardless of our feelings about it. It. But the church has been so hypocritical that they look at us and they can't even get to that point. And it is time for you and I to look at our lives and say, am I living in a way that contrasts with them? You see, living in the shadowlands between light and dark will not light the path for anyone. It, our lights will be so dim they will have no clue where to go. It's like when you find that, you're looking for a flashlight to find something in the house, right? And you finally find one, and then you go to turn it on, and it's like, and it's fading out. And you're like shining, and you can't even tell where the flashlight's shining, shining. You can just see that little bitty red line in there, and it's not doing anyone any good. That's what we do whenever we live our lives in, in opposition to God's word. I don't care what anybody tells you. You cannot go out and live however you want to and expect to be a sanctified person living a life of purpose who is living the way God intended you to live and make an impact if we're not living and being what we've called, been called to be. It doesn't work. That's why there are huge churches that have lots of people go sit in them, but 
It's not making an, a lasting impact on anyone's life because they go to church and they leave and nothing is different within their hearts and with their actions. You look, look, let's look at uh, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We should, people should be able to look, us, look at us and say, man, those people are godly. They're not religious. They're not just church people. But they serve a great and powerful and awesome God. And if, if that's what it looks like, that's what I want. Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. If you were to ask, your that, that, ask yourself that question, am I living a life worthy of the calling that God has given me? And you were to consider what we just talked about, where you came from and where you were and how God brought you from there to where you are now. And not only that, but he gave you a purpose. He gave you something to look forward to. He gave you meaning in life and said, you can do this for other people. You can help other people's lives be changed. You can help them find a relationship with me. And you can help change someone's eternity. If you were to look at that and say, am I living? Is my life worthy of that calling? What would your answer be? See, what we've done with Christianity and the Bible is we think that the Bible should never make us feel bad. Guys, guilt is not a bad thing. We talked about that this morning. Guilt is not always a bad thing. It's there to remind us. It's there to say, hey, you know, sometimes you hear a sermon. Guess what? You probably should feel guilty. And when I read this passage and it says, man, I want you to consider, are you living a life worthy of the calling you received? There are many times in my life where I have felt very guilty because I can look at that question and I go, nope, nope, I'm not. And I feel guilty about that and I should because God has given me so much. And his love should compel me to be someone who lives in such a way that I am worthy of a calling that I've been received to help other people find a relationship with God. We have got to live differently if we're going to impact the world. We have to live differently to live a life of purpose. See, we got to understand that we've been chosen by God for that specific purpose, and we have to remember what life was like before our calling, and we have to live in a way that contrasts darkness and light so that the world can see the difference. And then the third thing is, is that we have to speak in such a way to fulfill that purpose. We have to speak in such a way to fulfill our purpose. You see, because unless you are going to do it better than Jesus did it, Helping people will require you to open your mouth. Unless you're better than Jesus, you are not going to live such a holy, pristine life that people are just going to go, oh, there it is, there's the way, that's, that's the way to God. Because Jesus came here and lived a sinless life, and guess what, guys? He had to preach. He had to open his mouth. He had to communicate. That is part of living a life in such a way that people can find God. 
is that we overcome our discomfort. We overcome our fears. And we overcome our natural temperaments. And we say, you know what? That person needs God, and that is going to require me explaining to them what a relationship with God is about and how they can get into a right relationship with him. They're not going to watch you at work, be nice and friendly and smile to everyone and be like, oh, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? That's not going to happen. Now, your example, as I've been saying for the last two points, it is going to give credibility to your words. It is going to allow people to look at you and say, man, that's somebody I should listen to. But you have got to talk. You see, Jesus Jesus did not walk around earth going, hey, you're healed. I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, I love you. You're awesome. I love you too. Now, did he tell people he loved them? Did he treat them with love? Yes, he actually did. And you know what? Let me tell you something. Love does a lot of things. There are a lot of things that love does. And one of those things is when it sees people who are lost, it speaks the truth. It doesn't knock it down. It doesn't deny it. It doesn't patty cake around it. It speaks the truth. And if you don't believe me, look at Jesus' ministry. Look at his ministry. He was a man who God is love. And love does change people's lives. And it does change people's hearts. And it does allow them to find salvation because that's what Jesus did. But love also says, hey, you're going to have to give up everything in order to follow me. And that doesn't sound initially like a very loving thing to say. It doesn't sound like a loving thing to say, let the dead bury their own dead. If you want to follow me, you got to come. That sounds like an unloving thing, but it's not because Jesus was the way to eternal life and he was showing them what it took to get there, which is the most loving thing we could ever do to someone. Sitting down with a woman at a well and saying, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You know, you're not married. And in fact, you've been married multiple times and the dude you're shacking up with now isn't your husband. That's, that doesn't seem like a loving thing to do. And when people tell you, don't go out and tell people what they're doing is wrong, they're, con- they're contradicting Scripture. But that doesn't mean you can't do it in a loving way. Obviously, this woman understood that Jesus loved her because she brings the whole town to the man. After he was straight with her, after he was honest with her, after he loved her. We cannot water down the truth of the word of God because that is unloving. And we have got to understand love does a lot of things and speaking the truth is one of those things, whether it be, love, whether it be fluff or tough love. Love speaks the truth. And sometimes love hurts. But let me tell you something. Love always helps when you speak the truth to someone. Always. And we've got to come to that conclusion. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God is longing for men and women to have beautiful feet. He is longing for us to be the people who look and say, you know what? I've been sanctified for a very specific purpose. 
And I need to step out in faith, and I need to live in such a way that people can see Christ, and I need to open my mouth and be a beautiful messenger to people who says, man, I've, I long for you to be close to God. I long for you to feel the love of God. I deeply want you to feel the love of God's family. But we have to learn to speak the truth to people. We live in, an, in a day and age in, in, of ministry to where we think that we are just going to love people and never have to say anything to them, that we are going to go to other countries and we're going to dig wells and we're never going to speak the truth to them and they're going to find Jesus. And they never find the living water because we never tell them about it. Sure, they get some crude water coming out of the ground, but they never experience the water that makes an eternal difference because we don't teach them that. Love does much more than social justice. Love lives and love speaks the truth so that people can find God. And we have been sanctified. We have been set apart with holy intent to be those messengers who bring that. Romans 10, 17 is a passage most of you probably know. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You look at... It's so many different chapters in the Bible. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 11, and we're going to read parts of it, 11 through 19. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Look at this next line. We try to persuade men. We try to persuade them because we love God and we love people so much. We will be uncomfortable persuading someone, but we do it because we want them to be close to God. You ever, tried to, you ever tried to persuade someone to do something and felt uncomfortable about it? You see, I, I had, I've had multiple opportunities to take sales jobs. And most of the time, whenever I looked at the sales job, I'm like, I don't believe in the product. So I'm definitely not going to feel comfortable persuading someone to buy something I don't believe in myself. But you know what? If I wanted to, I could probably still persuade him to do it. I could do that. Yet the very thing that matters more than anything in life, we're afraid to persuade people to try. But that's what you've been called to do. That's what you've been set apart to do. That's what a kingdom priesthood does. They, they persuade people to be connected to God. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, because of these things, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The old you that was afraid to go out and speak, and speak truth to people, to speak love to people, to love them in deeply and be vulnerable with them. The old you that wouldn't do that because you were too selfish and caught up in your own stuff. That old you is gone. It died to itself when you were baptized into Christ. There's a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
Doesn't that make it pretty clear what we are supposed to be doing? Doesn't that passage make it very certain that we have been sanctified and set apart for a very specific purpose? Is that, is that passage only designed for that church or that congregation? Absolutely not. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart. We're a royal priesthood, and we have been given a ministry of reconciliation to go into the world and tell people about Jesus, to live in such a way that they're able to hear what we have to say and say, it can be so much better. We have got to adopt that into our lives. Imagine all of the stories. If every single person here this year would say, you know what, I've been set apart for a holy reason to go out into all the world to find people, to baptize people into Christ and to teach them everything he has obeyed them. If all of us grabbed that and said, that's what I'm going to be, I am dead set, I'm going to be a sanctified man or woman of God that goes out and does that this year, how many stories we would have in this room next year? How many stories we would have? How many Janices and Wands and Jennas would we have to give testimonies next year? Wouldn't it be awesome to go to a conference where all you did for a weekend is sit there and listen to people's testimonies about what God has done in their lives? And you would get to see how ministers of reconciliation and people who have been sanctified and set apart, how they can make such a difference in the world that all these stories of brokenness and hurt and bad habits, and all the junk that's went on, they're breaking cycles. And you would look at a room full of people. Look at the room full of people right now. How many of you guys came from broken homes? How many of you guys were physically, mentally, or sexually abused? Wouldn't it be awesome to see a room full of hands like this 20 years from now as these men and women sitting here were sitting here with their children and we asked that question and only half the audience raised their hands because cycles had been broken because men and women decided that they were going to be sanctified and they were going to take seriously the and fulfilling the purpose that God had given them. You see, the Tulsa workshop wasn't always called the Tulsa workshop, was it? It was called the International Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop. We come here to learn how to find people for Jesus Christ and have them come into a soul winning relationship with him. That's what we've been set apart for. That's what we've been called to. And it is time, men and women, that we take that mantle upon our shoulders and say, you know what? I'm going to do that because I'm going to live a life worthy of the calling that I have received. Every one of us next year, wouldn't it be so amazing to sit here and say, hey, over the past year, who's lived a life worthy of the calling and receiving? We all know that doesn't mean we've been perfect, right? We're going to screw up, trust me. I, I know that for a fact. But wouldn't it be cool to look around a room with hands up saying, yes, I have fought with all my might this year to be a man or woman of God who has lived a life worthy of the calling that I receive from Jesus Christ. And that's what can take place, and the world can change. It did in the first century. Matter of fact, it says that they flipped the whole world upside down. We live in a really messed up time in our country right now. But if everybody here would go out and live a life worthy of the calling they've received, 
it would go a long way to riding a really screwed up ship. But we are going to have to take the calling seriously and to live that life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for being a God who loves us so much that you would pull us out of the darkness into the light, God. But even more than that, that you would be a God who loves us so much that not only would you, would you pull us out of that life, God, but that you would give us a very um, powerful purpose. God, that we would be able to look at the world around us through different eyes than we have. That we would be able to look around and say, man, it doesn't have to be like this. God, help us to be men and women who live those lives worthy of the calling we received. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to be those who take the Great Commission so seriously, God, that everything from here on out changes. God, uh, we love you more, uh, God. And we, we know that you, you care deeply for us, so uh, help us to show that in the way that we live. Uh, help us to allow your love to compel us to be everything that you've called us to be, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.